0: Alrighty everyone, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, bringing you another episode of Monday Madness on June 23rd, 2023. Those of you who are a bit more observant than the average cat may realize that this episode has been written, recorded, and released on a Friday. I do apologize for getting out this week's episode so late, but things have gotten to be pretty busy on the Rare Petro side of things. Even so, I could probably count on two hands the number of episodes I've missed for Monday Madness, and many of them were during just one project right in the middle of LA. So, nonetheless, this episode will get released, and not because I feel like I owe it to you, though partially I do, but mainly because it keeps my edges sharp as well. We at RP are passionate about learning all about everything we can in this industry. Fundamentals, geopolitics, and engineering are all very much more related than you might expect. But this is still just one of my most boring cold openings I think I've put together for the show yet, so I think we ought to go straight into the content. WTI actually had a decent week from Monday until about now. Once markets opened, things stabilized around the $91 to $92 range. On Wednesday, we saw this little run-up to $72.50 that started to look really nice. Well, all good things must come to an end. And that happened Thursday morning as WTI plummeted all the way back down to $69. Brent continues to maintain a $4.5 spread over WTI with similar price action, so nothing out of the ordinary there. Yeah, that spread has opened up a little bit from 4 but we've been at 4 and a half for a decent amount of time now, so no crazy spread volatility. Natural gas continues to look... Less than impressive as it hovered around 260 this week, but if you expand the scope a little bit wider, we are actually up 40 cents from where we were three weeks ago. I'm curious to see where it goes as gas has been low for months, and uh, I do think we will probably have to wait until winter to see any significant semi permanent results. Ultimately, commodities remain volatile, oil is too low in price to spur any significant developments, and people are getting impatient, me included. Par for the course for this many months in. Next is the rig count. Last week, the slaughter slowed down as we dropped only one rig, bringing a temporary reprieve from the abysmal rig decrease. I mentioned that the hemorrhaging had stopped, but we weren't out of the woods yet. The downward trend is easily visible, and the ride continues this week. Down another eight rigs, bringing the U.S. total to 687, or 53 fewer rigs than we had this time last year. This also means that in two months, we have lost 68 rigs. So, who are the biggest losers? At a basin level, it was the Permian and Marcellus who were down four each. The Eagleford is up two, and surprisingly enough, the Utica is up three rigs for the week. State by state, we have a whole slew of change. On the negative side is New Mexico, down four, Louisiana, down three, while Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia are all down two. The only two states to see something good are Alaska, up two, and Ohio, up three. It is clear that emphasis is falling away from unconventionals as we lost 10 rigs making horizontal hole, yet gained a rig each making directional and vertical hole. I think this is the beginning of a large response to suppress commodity prices. People are recognizing that we are stuck in this band, and nothing can really force a price any lower or higher than that $65 to $75 range. Would you work hard to produce more when your breakeven even prices climbed? Probably not. Until things become a little more attractive in the pricing arena, we will likely see the rig count fall pretty low. I've got no idea where it levels out, but I have a bad feeling we are still several weeks, or maybe even months, out from that. Lastly, we have Thirsty Thursday, which is hot off the press from Nick Fernhout. I know I always mention that you should check out these reports when you get the chance, but that rings true today more than any other time I mentioned it. It's only one day after it's been published. I mean, come on. It's easier to have that cocktail recipe we share since it's the end of the week, and hey, you've been working hard, so you deserve it. The figures are great, and they've never been more relevant to a Monday madness than now. So check it out on www.rarepetro.com. Anywho, here's what Nick had to report this week. Let's take a look at the EIA's data. A forecasted build of 1.9 million barrels and a reported draw of nearly 4 million barrels. If you work at the EIA and are reading this, why are the forecasts so off lately? The people, Nick included, want to know. Whether it be out of luck or reliance on a different set of data, the API forecasted a seemingly more accurate draw of 0.5 million barrels against a reported actual draw of 1.25 million barrels. There's nothing too exciting to note about either figure this week. Crude stocks are smack in the middle of their five-year range, and draws and builds are ebbing and flowing as normal. For two months or so now, the price of gasoline has been very steady, despite gasoline stocks rising and falling tens of millions of barrels over the same period. Perhaps a sign of gasoline prices' stability? Or maybe something else at play? As he said earlier, gas prices are steady. This week, the national average dropped just five-tenths of a cent. In other news, we have a new leader for the most expensive gas in the country. As long as I have it written, this weekly report, I've never seen Washington State top the charts, but here we are. At 4948 dollars per gallon, Washington is not the place you want to fill up your gas-guzzling car. Diesel costs the same as it did last week. However, the distillate stocks are rounding the curve and are into the flats this week. Next up, our news. The first article is an excellent case study for what may be in store for a group or a country should energy prices be too high. Mm. I'm kind of looking at the United States for juxtaposition. According to the CNBC, German energy prices are so high that companies are starting to jump ship and move out of the country. This is all coming from the lips of the head of German Industry Federation, Siegfried Russwurm. He mentioned that folks from family-owned businesses to large German headquartered operations are leaving, primarily because of the high costs of energy, but the legal red tape and the current political climate sure don't help. It makes sense in the case of a small family business, but the large companies are finding success everywhere except for their home country, so now is as good a time as any to relocate. This is a bit comical considering the central bank president was quoted back in April as saying the country's energy crisis was, quote, more or less solved, end quote. The month after that, the government announced $4.4 billion in subsidized electricity assistance annually in an attempt to shield businesses from those high energy costs. Fortunately, the cost of energy in the United States is quite a bit lower thanks to our ability to produce a good amount of hydrocarbons on our own. We may have had a slightly different situation had we been more dependent on Russia for our natural gas and oil. Energy independence is an incredible dampener to price volatility. Not to say you won't be affected, but it can limit just how dramatic energy inflation might be for the general public. Some food for thought when talking about the importance of energy independence with others. To finish the podcast, we take a quick look at the situation surrounding Russian sanctions. Now, I wasn't exactly keeping count, but apparently the EU has settled the 11th package of sanctions against Russia, and this one is the Mac Daddy. According to Commission President Ursula Leyen, this new round will, quote, deal a further blow to Putin's war machine, with tightened export restrictions targeting entities supporting the Kremlin, end quote. The package essentially targets countries acting as middlemen that continue to funnel supplies into Russia. Turns out sanctions are only as effective if people agree to follow them. There's been a surge in demand for EU products from Armenia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and others that are publicly friends like Saudi Arabia, Turkey, and China. This is wigging out the EU because everybody and their mom knows that these products are still making their way into Russia. Not only that, but this package also bans access to EU ports if your ship is even suspected of engaging in ship-to-ship transfers involving Russian oil. If you're an avid listener and follower of this podcast, you would know that it was a prediction from Rare Petro when the conflict started. Sanctioning Russia won't stop them from getting supplies. If anything, it just further draws a line in the sand and better define who is on which side. If it didn't work the first time, it probably won't work the 11th. But ladies and gentlemen, that is all I've got for you today. A little fast one, I know, had to record and write from the road, but thanks again for joining us along another episode. I'll be back by the evening of uh, probably Friday, so you'll get another episode fresh on Monday morning, specifically for Monday Madness, and you'll also probably get an episode of The Basin Breakdown any day now, either this week or next week, and that'll review all of the news from last month. If any of that interests you, go ahead and follow this podcast. We're available on all the major platforms, even SoundCloud, so accessibility shouldn't be a concern. If you aren't big on listening to podcasts, I know there are many of you out there, you can always check out our written content posted to our website, www.rarepetro.com. All this information is free, and I might even go as far as to say it is valuable, so you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. This has been Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, and until we see you next time,